Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Faz Zaidi, and welcome to Infectious, your guide to life during COVID-19. We haven't had an interview in a while, but I wanted to come back and touch up on some of the developments with COVID, especially now as it's sort of become a normal part of our society and our life. And so I'm here uh, with an amazing doctor I've interviewed before to talk about COVID and, uh, and how it's going. How are you doing today? Oh, hi. How are you doing, guys? So hi, guys. I'm Dr. Aisha Thomas. I'm an infectious disease physician. I'm board certified in internal medicine and infectious disease. I, and I'm over in Sebastian, Florida. It's a pleasure to be back on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get right to it and talk about uh, endemics. So the word endemics been used a lot, especially to describe COVID. Uh, would you agree that COVID is an endemic, and what exactly does that mean? Okay, so it's a good question to start off with because we started off saying the pandemic COVID nineteen, and now we've been using the name the word endemic. And the funny thing is, when I look through. Um, previous infections that we may have had, like respiratory infections, many of them have been by other coronaviruses, which are considered endemic. And what that means is that it's a generally circulating strain that humans can be uh, infected with. So instead of being a novel virus anymore that we've never seen, it's now adapted to where it can uh, reinfect the population at intervals. So it's pretty much, let's say, a low-lying infection, so to speak. Okay, and so, and so, now that it's now that we've established that COVID is endemic throughout our society, how would you say that it interacts with other diseases that we've considered endemic for a long time, especially things like the flu? Yes. So it's funny when you mentioned the flu, because we used to say, what happened to flu in 2020 and 2021? Because we were focused on COVID-19. Influenza was still circulating, but because COVID-19 was uh, proportionately more, people were getting uh, infected with that uh, at a higher prevalence. Also, different strains of COVID have had different infectivity rates. So it can overwhelm other viruses that have less of an infectivity rate. So I'd say in terms of other viruses and other infections, COVID has now uh, become adapted to where it wants to cause less mortality or deaths, but just being in a place where it can infect more people. So it can stay around more, if I can put it that way. So it's less harmful, but more common? That's a good way to put it, yes. And we can see by all those many variants, that is what it's done over the lifetime of being, you know, seeing this pandemic. And so when you talk about the vaccines that we're getting and boosters, how exactly do uh, the new boosters that we have and our vaccine adapt to the variety of variants that we're dealing with? That's a good question. So the first strain out of Wuhan, China was the alpha strain that we all know too well. So that was a strain that was prevalent throughout uh, 2020 into early the spring of 2021. And then we had the Delta variant that was rampant in mid-2021 through the end of the year. And then we have the the Omicron and the different sub-variants that have come through in uh, 2022 and, and so on. So initially, the first vaccines that were created were against the Alpha strain. 
the boosters was, uh, pr were pretty much just a weakened form of the alpha strain. And these were given as, so remember the primary series, we had vaccine one and two a month apart. And then we had boosters that were given after two months after the first primary series. But more recently, they've created uh, uh, vaccines against the Omicron strain. So what it is, there are some bivalent ones, which include a little bit of alpha and, and a bit of Omicron as well. So it's only more recently that the vaccines were able to target the more recently circulating strain, Omicron, which swept the whole world. And so, you know, boosters and vaccines, it's kind of tricky because there's all these different types and for each variant. So what would you say good guidelines should be for someone who has been vaccinated um, and wants to get a booster or has gotten a couple of boosters? How would you, what rule would you use for determining yes, how we get so boosters? I think, so what's going away, the typical boosters that were against just the alpha strain are, are pretty much phasing out. So the bivalent ones are coming into play and they generally recommend that you do it two months after a previous infection or two months after a primary series or a previous booster. So from what I see going forward, it's going to be new because in the works, there are several other vaccines. So, so I think going forward is going to be just trying to predict where the virus is going and trying to be ahead of it in that way. Because I do, I must say, until these new bivalent vaccines were available, we were chasing our tail because we were using the alpha strain booster the whole time and it was no longer circulating. Um, but the thing about immunity is, I guess even though you didn't get a direct, um, you didn't get a direct uh, uh, antigen of the, of the exact thing, it was similar enough to help the immune system to create T cells and B cells which is the important thing to have long-term immunity. Okay, so, so we have these different vaccine variants and like we're, now we're trying to stay ahead of this curve. What do you think the best way for someone who, you know, doesn't want to get too many vaccines because, you know, going getting pricked, how would you expect them to stay uh, ahead of that curve in the best way? Oh, you can see that. Well, I noticed that Florida has taken a particular stance. If you saw the Surgeon General of Florida's recent memo, where he said that you need to weigh the risk and benefits of everything, particularly for, um, for males, you know, males under 30, males under 40, who have a higher risk of myocarditis with, with vaccines that have, they have reported, and also vaccine adverse events. So for me, I always like to take things as risk versus benefit. At this point, the virus, especially the Omicron variant, has become less lethal. You, you know what I mean? So most people, 99.5% of people will recover from Omicron. If you have a decent immune system, you're younger, you should do well by just boosting your own immune system. And there are some ways to do that, even naturally. So for me, I would say everyone should weigh the risk and benefits for you know, getting vaccinated. Because as you saw, even those vaccines and boosters, the, the, the protection was really just for a few weeks. So the question is, is it worth to um, get your immune system several uh, exposures to vaccines versus, you know, if it's something where it's a low risk of mortality, you know, you might want to weigh that, if you know what I mean. So specifically talking about the Surgeon General, 
uh, and you talked about males under 35 and them having a cardi, a cardiovascular risk. Uh, what do you say that the actual risk is? Because I know that study has been criticized heavily and there's some other studies that are kind of opposing that. What would you say that the difference, what do you, how would you talk about that? So it was very interesting to see the Florida Surgeon General say that there was a risk of myocarditis in males under 35. It was a self-reported study, meaning that it was um, ongoing with people reporting symptoms. It wasn't necessarily a rigorous double-blind placebo control. You know, it wasn't that kind of, it was a case report uh, uh, rather. So, uh, so of course, rigorous studies may, you know, may say, this wasn't, you know, a study done in that official way. It was reports. However, for everyone who've had who's had a case of myocarditis or that sort of trauma, it's a real issue. And knowing that someone is um, younger, with you know, you know, a huge life expectancy, having something major like a cardiac event would be very risky. So I think it behooves us well, despite the study not being as rigorous as, you know, as I mentioned, to take it into consideration. It has certainly made me want to weigh the risks and benefits for, you know, my kids. I have kids myself, you know, in that age group. And um, it's something for us all to think about. And so uh, why exactly does that cardiovascular risk occur for that age group? Well, it's interesting. I think um, most of it boils down to immunity and autoimmunity, I would say. So your body sees an antigen, a virus, a pathogen, a bacteria. What it does, it turns on certain cells in the immune system to go and investigate and see what is this. Now, in terms of immunity, when that happens, you could have cells that is rapidly dividing. It can, it can, there can be possibly a mutation where you make an antibody against a native part of your body. You can make an, an antibody against your gut, against your heart, against your eyes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So known to be a, uh, that uh, vaccines are known to be immunogenic and it's not 100% reproducible. You can have some outliers in how people respond. So you might have just a simple fever in some people while other people might have you know, gut issues. Other people might have rashes you know, as a reaction to a vaccine. Some people might have autoimmune issues after a vaccine. And these are all, some people have nerve issues like um, myasthenia um, gravis or things like that. So these are all known factors. That is why there was um, a vaccine registry registry for persons to uh, record symptoms and to log them in. Yes. And so... Obviously, there are some risks of vaccines and some benefits. Uh, how would you say that compares for, um, so we talked about like uh, males under 35. How would you say that compares for, um, you know, people who are getting elderly or maybe have uh, some chronic illnesses or autoimmune diseases? Sure. So I guess we have to think of basically what a vaccine does. So as we mentioned, what a vaccine does, it primes your immune system to see a particular set of proteins or an or antigens, so that if you see it in the future, your body would have already made some protective 
cells that can fight or soldier cells. The ideal thing is to make long-term B cells and T cells because these can last for several years. These can last for maybe up to 10, 20 years if you make those really long-term B and T cells. So that's the whole point of getting a vaccine. You might find when someone is older, they may not mount as much of a response as someone who is younger. So we noticed that COVID-19 in children, it wasn't particularly, you know, lethal. Kids were recovering better. While someone who is older, because their immune system is not as robust, it can be overwhelmed with virus. So the point of taking a vaccine at that point is to give you protective cells and soldiers that can see it and fight. So the vaccine may, it, it's, that's why, you know, after a vaccine, they say you, you're not protected for 30 days, right? Because you haven't made the cells yet or you haven't made the soldiers that can protect you. Okay. And so uh, while we are talking about COVID vaccines um, and, you know, we're starting to just kind of return to normal, uh, how would you say that COVID interacts with uh, some other endemic vaccines like the flu that you've been taking uh, or should be taking every year? Right. So a lot of people, you come to your doctor's office, they'll say, okay, you're due for the flu shot. You can have them both at the same time. You can just get your double shot to protect you. And it's becoming almost like the flu shot. You know how we make we make a quadrivalent shot most of the times, trivalent or quadrivalent, which is two, three or four different flu viruses. They mix together and expect for the next year. So it seems to be that with COVID being in the circulation and mutating to a point where it's now acting like it's a common cold in a sense. I'm saying that because many coronaviruses already cause common cold. There are many, many strains of coronavirus. So it's now uh, mutating to a point where it's acting like a coronavirus that causes a cold. You know, it almost becomes politicized saying things, but it's just naturally what, I, what is happening. So you may think now it's time to you know, thinking ahead, is this going to be something that's with us that we just have to protect ourselves at certain times a year? You know what I mean? When surges may occur, if we can try to predict those or plan. So that that's where we are, I think. Okay. Uh, would you still recommend the flu or, or rather, uh, would you say the flu uh, vaccine has any risk or interacts in any way uh, with COVID or the COVID vaccine? So as I mentioned, most providers are giving them both at the same time in the same visit. Um, some people still do the do one at a time and wait two weeks and do the second one. So I'll say that there's no clear consensus, but in, in, in persons who get it at the same time, you just expect a little more immunogenicity where you might have a little more of a soreness, a little bit more of a fever, a few more symptoms. So I can't say that it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, to have, you know, both both vaccines at the same time. But with any vaccine, you just weigh your, you know, weigh your risk and benefits and, you know, determine. I think that's been the narrative going forward, especially as we mentioned the Florida Surgeon General. It's just, a, a, I think it leaves us with a point to think, think about things. We were previously in a pandemic. We we're previously at a point where we just needed like a live, a live vest. We just needed something to help us along the way and you know, we were looking for answers. So now things are settling. It's now time to be, look through the data, see what's the best way to approach it. Uh -huh. And that's kind of where we are. And so uh, how would you say that, like, like, you know, you're talking about COVID vaccines, flu vaccines and COVID cases, uh, and we talk about weighing your risks and benefits. 
How would you say we've been seeing differences in terms of rural, urban populations, or among economic classes, or um, I know that sometimes like different diseases affect different racial groups differently. How do you say that we've been seeing differences among these groups? All right. So it was interesting because regarding COVID, as we saw, it was it initially, you know, with the alpha strain, we were very concerned about the immunosuppressed, you know, population. So I, I have an HIV clinic that I run with over 300 patients. We are so concerned about those patients that we closed down the clinic for the first three months. But we found that those patients actually did well. They've been on their, their HIV medicines. They're actually very compliant coming in. So I found that even though the prediction was that group would do poorly, that group actually did well. We did find, however, that the obese patients did poorly. The obese patients, I think, particularly during Delta, because they couldn't really get those preps and throw and open up their lungs and because Delta was really permanent in the lungs. It was causing very bad pulmonary infiltrates. So it also depends on the, the type of virus and the, type, the actual uh, immuno, the uh, class of, of persons. Because we had diabetics to worry about, the obese to worry about, people with cardiovascular, people with renal issues to worry about. But we found that with each of the different uh, strains, there was a slightly different take on it. You know, by the time of Omicron, it was really just a lot of GI and mild upper respiratory symptoms. So the same risk did not obtain where people that I was worried about initially, like the obese and the asthmatics, they actually did relatively well. So with your question, I'll say it depends on, on the actual strain and how it affected the different classes of persons. And would you say there's any other factors? So we talked about obesity. Uh, we talked about uh, being older or being immunocompromised in some way. Other uh, and males under 35. Would you say there's any other groups of people that have any other specific risks besides just the general risks of COVID to look out for? So I'd say overall persons with, um, with mucosal diseases. So I would think that's people with selective IgG deficiencies, persons with, um, you know, upper airway compromise, because that is where the virus really attaches and gets in. So um, those persons are always, uh, you know, cystic fibrosis. Anyone with respiratory are particularly, um, we are particularly concerned about them always, because in terms of mortality, respiratory disease is what gets, what, what kills, you know, at the end of the day, people who never got off the ventilator, for example. So, yeah, so yes, these are the ones I'll worry about. And particularly, of course, people on either extreme uh, uh, ends of the age spectrum, premature uh, infants, for example, very young, they have, a, you know, they have very underdeveloped lungs, as well as people on the older age of the spectrum, who really have a very limited immunity, their cardiovascular system is, is impaired as well. Okay, and sort of wrapping this up, um, we've seen pretty vastly different policies when it comes to COVID from state to state. Uh, and we've seen a lot of, you know, political stuff, um, a lot of economic differences, social differences, uh, and that have resulted because of COVID. What do you think COVID's longest lasting impact is going to be? Wow. Well, I can look back and say that life changed in 2020. Um, can you say the same? Yeah, for sure. I feel like I look back and 2019 to 2020 was a completely different, different time. I, we saw shutdowns, we saw lockdowns, we saw the pandemia, we saw the hysteria, we saw the 
the politicizing of an illness. Because unfortunately, that's what happened with this illness. Because medicine was, um, I think, almost taken from the hands of the particular doctors treating. It became a centralized, uh, centralized, medicine became centralized. We listened every day, you know, to see what did Dr. Fauci have to say? What did the team have to say? Because ongoing, we just needed the new data, the new data, the new data to know what to do. So in retrospect, it changed the way that medicine was practiced. Because for example, some physicians were shut down because they said you prescribed drugs that were not approved and this and that. And, um, you know, while there were some unscrupulous things being done, many physicians were just trying to find something to save a life. So, um, and going forward, we see that in California, um, they brought a, there's a law that's impending saying, um, you know, physicians that, you know, promote scientific misinformation would be um, subject to, you know, board disciplinary action and losing their license, for example. So I'll say it has changed medicine's practice um, because it's definitely more, I wouldn't say, it's definitely more centralized, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's become uh, less of something on the side and more like a topic that uh, is kind of on the headlines every day. So is there anything else you want to say before you wrap this up? Oh, very, very uh, interesting topic. I think, so looking forward, it's just a matter of seeing how man and this virus will continue to coexist. We haven't seen the last of it. It's been a very, very smart virus that has done the things it's, it's supposed to do. The virus has done its job. It's mutated. It's tried to make itself, you know, a part of the population where it can, it's reinfected people in many, you know, more than one time because it's made itself so different so it can attack in different ways. So we now have to think ahead of the virus and say what, try to think ahead of its next move. So um, the virus has, you know, it's just something that, you know, going forward, I I have in my mind as well. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, I really appreciate uh, everything I had to say. And and thank you for uh, for allowing me to interview you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to leave your comments or questions in the forum below. This was your host, Faz80, and this was Infectious.